Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and every year on The Stacks, we discuss and dissect a Toni Morrison novel for The Stacks Book Club. And this year's Toni Morrison discussion is upon us. We are talking about Toni Morrison's 2008 novel, A Mercy, with author and professor Imani Perry. Imani Perry is the author of seven books, including her latest, a New York Times bestseller, South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation. We talk today about the themes of the book, the subversion of historical narratives, and the seduction of beauty. There are also a lot of spoilers on today's episode, so please be sure you've read the book before you listen. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out what our book club pick for April will be. If you like the stacks and want more of it, please head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. You'll get perks like bonus episodes, virtual book club, discounts on merch and shout outs on the show. Speaking of shout outs, thank you to our newest members of the stacks pack. Kathy Livingston, Donna Anderson, Ashley Lopez, Lillian Yee, Amanda Spalter, Matthew Molly, Kamini, Allison, Annie Vandehey, and Daniela. Thank you all so much for joining the Stacks Pack and putting your money behind the work of this show. The Stacks is a completely independent podcast, so there would be no show without the Stacks Pack. To join this exclusive community and get your perks, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Now it's time for the Stacks Book Club conversation on A Mercy by Toni Morrison with the Ebony Perry. All right, everybody, we are back. It is the Stacks Book Club Day. I am joined again by the wonderful Imani Perry, author of recent, the most recently South to America, and it's Stacks Book Club. We're going to talk about Toni Morrison's A Mercy. For people who have not finished the book, there will be spoilers, so please finish the book. We're not protecting you from this. Um, Imani, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. Talk about this wonderful book. I'm really excited. I One of my New Year's resolutions this year was to remember to explain the book at the beginning of the episode because I was getting into episodes where I'd be like 30 minutes in and be like, by the way, this is what the book's about. Okay. So yes. let me do a quick, yes. this, this is not going to be my best work, but here we go. Um, a Mercy is Toni Morrison's novel. It came out in 2008. It is about a group of people living on a 
I don't, it's not really a plantation, a farm um, in mm-hmm. the north. I think they're in New York. Um, and it's sort of told through alternating perspectives about the different people. And then there's one person whose voice we hear throughout, which is a young woman named Florence. I don't know. I didn't do a great job there, but we'll we'll get into all of it. We'll get into it. Yeah. So we always start here. Amani, just sort of tell us what you think of this book. So I love this book. I love this character, Florence. Florence is a girl who grows into a woman who has been sold to Jacob Bark, who is the farm owner. And she is somewhere descended from, she was enslaved, but in the Portuguese world, but it's not sort of clearly identified. So there's all these meetings of cultures, right? So mm-hmm. Bark is Dutch. And then he has a wife who is brought, who is shipped over from Europe. And then there's a Native American woman who works on their farm as well. And then there's a black blacksmith. And then there is a queer couple that's in the community that works for them that are indentured. And so it's like this moment of encounter before all of these categories are settled. Mm. And it's part of why I love it. And Florence is someone who has lived with the wound of being pushed in her mind from her mother to be the one sold instead of her little brother, right? And it's a mis- it's a misunderstanding, like her mother's actually saving her from sexual violence, but she doesn't notice. So there's this wound, right? And everybody has wounds. There's also a woman named Sara who is kind of like a foundling who's like in the area and is kind of wild, right? As how yeah. she's described. And it's, it's a woman-centered novel. It's an encounter with history and like everything, for me as someone who, who loves history to actually be able to feel what it felt like, like Mm. to be these people who speak different languages and who every, you know, people are dying all the time. And like the, you don't know what the crop is going to yield and, and, and yet have all these passions and desires. I just, I think it's stunning. Okay. I will go. I will admit to all of you. I am very nervous about this conversation because I am not sure that I understood a lot of what I was reading. Difficult, yeah. It's a really hard book, which uh-huh. I like. I like a challenge, mm-hmm. but I always get very nervous when I have to talk about a challenge on the oh, podcast because yeah. I'm like, I'm too stupid for this, which is I'm really glad you're here. You have all the degrees for all well, of us. You're, you are brilliant, so, but but it's hard. It's a really hard book. Because changes. And there's, there's pr- no, yeah. she doesn't tell you. She doesn't explain. Yeah, there's no there's no explanation. It's just sort of happening. You have to pick up what's going on. Um, however, the ending, the last yeah. chapter, is so incredible. I yeah. got that. I mean, I was like, holy cow! Like the ending just yeah. really. I think the last two chapters because it's Florence and then it's yeah. her mother. Um, and I, of course, I love Toni Morrison's writing. I love. I I there's so much like lushness mm-hmm. in her sentences mm-hmm. this was also my first late Toni Morrison oh, so okay. I have read I have only read the books we've done on this show which are The Bluest Eye, Beloved, Sula and now Song of Solomon and so this is our fifth A Mercy and so it was really different it's really yeah. different and like one of the things that I know that I loved from the ones that I'd read prior are the scenes and like how suspenseful the scenes are. And in this book, she's really like sort of found a little more calmness Mm -hmm. in her scenes. They're not so intense. Um, And so I think I also was like waiting for what I thought was coming. Yeah. yeah, Like I was waiting for those scenes that just aren't there. They're in there, but they're not as clear. Yeah. Well, she, I mean, I think what happens is that 
Morrison, I think, made a decision and she banked on us having in a later work, we had earned her trust. Mm. And so she doesn't tell us everything. Yeah. So like, you know, so you could imagine the scene, there's a scene where Florence is jealous of the man she loves who, who ultimately rejects her because she's too wild and she's a slave and he's a free black man. And it's a sort of devastating encounter. Right. And she's jealous of the child he's taken in. Again, we said there were spoilers, right? So there's spoilers. Yes, so she's yes. jealous of a child that he's taken in. She hits the child. And, but it's not a scene that is described in the way, for example, the scene in Beloved is in the, right. you know, when school teacher and the other guys come in where they're, where you like know everything that's going on. Like you can easily read by this scene and not, it's not like she struck the boy across the, th- you know, it's yes. like, yes. it's, it's very, it's like a series of emotions and, and responses and anger. And so you discern it, but it, on the other hand, it feels like what it feels like when you're in one of those dramatic scenes, yes, right? Exactly. Like where you're kind of breathless and you don't know what's going on and the words don't come to you. Like, so yeah, it's very, it is different. She pairs down so much. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those books on a second read. I will appreciate it so mm-hmm. much more because I was doing so much of like, what's happening? Wait, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like I kept, I had to reread that section a few times because I was like, wait, why did she hit? Why did, what's happening? Right. What's what? happening? I was like, right. and then I was like, yeah. wait, is this his kid? Like what's ha-? like, there's yeah, so yeah. much of like reorienting at the start mm-hmm. of every little chunk. And so that's always, you know, that's just tricky I, for me as a reader. Because yeah, yeah. I really like, I came, I, my background's in the theater. So I'm very, Oh, like scene oriented, which is like the kind of fiction I I really love. Our books yeah, that have like yeah, yeah. you know, like passing, for example, like that's basically a play. You know, like it's like so many scenes. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be um, fun to? You know, she wrote plays. It would be so fun to do staged readings of her plays. I oh my god, it would be a dream. I okay, I wish more. Idea. I wish more authors that I love would write plays, but plays are yeah. so hard. And They're different. so hard. Yeah, it's just like such a different. Such a different thing. I'm currently reading through August Wilson's Century Cycle right now, one a <gasps> the month. Best. Oh my gosh! Oh, I love that. There's, uh, I just, I love a play. But so, so when I read a novel, I feel like I'm always searching for mm-hmm. the scenes because that's how my brain understands narrative best. I think, yeah, that's like my background. I, but I am curious. I want to ask you. So I, so for people who don't know, we do a Toni Morrison every year, and I usually try to find the right guest and then just let them pick the book. And you picked this one. So I want to know why you picked A Mercy. I mean, I love A Mercy. You know, Morrison, part of what's amazing about her that I think is different, Morrison dwells on the mother wound, right? Like, and mm. she, there are so many terrible mothers in Morrison's work. <laughs> like, they're just, yeah. there's a lot of terrible mothers and she yeah. has no, and I think it's just sort of amazing for someone who was a mother to dwell in sort of the problems of motherhood as a writer Mm -hmm. I think it's very courageous and in this one though she tries to get to a healing and that doesn't really happen in the others so much like there's you just sort of have to make do with the disaster at the end but this one you know she tries to pull it back together and to make sense of it and so that part I think for me that's really important because it's she's a philosopher as an artist, right? And to think about, you know, so she's asking us to think about really core wounds that mm. we experience from people we love deeply, and how do you not allow those to eat you up? 
Um, And so it's a big, so it's a story, but it's a big question for the reader. And the same with the love story, right? And she's had other love stories that are like instructive in various ways, like whether we're talking about, you know, in Beloved where, you know, Paul D is like, listen, Setha, you, your best thing. Like it's not Beloved and it's also not me. It's not, this is, um, and we have Hagar and Song of Solomon, who's like, you know, essentially destroys herself out of love for for Milkman. Right. And, um, so here's another story like that where here this is a Florence is sort of obsessed with this blacksmith who is cruel, even if he's right in some ways. But right. I I think it's good though in this book that. Morrison lets us know that there's a cruelty there, right? Like Mm -hmm. that it's not just that it's her fault for falling so deeply in love and being willing to do everything, but that he hasn't treated her. And his obsession with his status as free is not necessarily a virtuous thing. So I like that she's also telling us something about like heartbreak Mm -hmm. and how we can destroy ourselves in moments of heartbreak, but also that people have a responsibility to treat others tenderly. I just think there's big lessons from, from the book. And so, yeah, this definitely feels like a big, a big lesson book for sure. Like, I feel like she was like, I got to tell the people some things, right? you know, I've written a bunch of books. I got to get, I got to get some Uh things off my chest. Oh yeah. And then there's also the, like the white people in the book who get worse here. Like I love, I think, I don't love that they get worse, but like, you know, there's, you know, Jacob and Rebecca, husband and wife, they have a great marriage. They go through all this heartbreak, their children die. They're like, but, and then Jacob gets obsessed with being wealthy and building this big house and all this stuff. And then, you know, and Rebecca's heart is broken because their children die. And so Jacob's values shift because he just wants to become rich. Like, you know, like the, the Europeans and, and Rebecca becomes cruel and, and she has these close relationships with Lena, who is the indigenous woman and, and, you know, Florence and, and not with sorrow, but they're all part of the same household. And she make pushes them away because of, and becomes sort of status oriented because of her heartbreak. And so you get and like becomes white as it were, right. right? In a way. So that's oh, also that's so really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that as like the becoming white with a capital W. Um, because I, I mean, one of the things I did think about was like in beloved also, and, and when we did beloved Damaris Hill was our mm-hmm. guest and she, oh, I I mean, Damaris. she, she, Oh my God. She broke that book down. It's still like one of my favorite episodes. Cause I also really struggled with beloved. Um, but one of the things we talked about on that episode was like about the benevolent slave owner mm-hmm. because they, you know, at the beginning of beloved and also at the beginning of this book, she sort of sets up, the people who own other humans is like, not so bad. Like Jacob's like, not so bad. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I took the note immediately when I started reading about him in this book being like, oh, she's doing it again. Yes. She's doing that thing where she's kind of like playing to our against like what we think of slave owners, right. Or like people who own others. And then, you know, he falls apart just like what happens in beloved, you know, and like, like he has that line or there's that line where it's like nothing makes Jacob as mad as brutal handling of domesticated animals. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, what about the fucking handling of yes. people? Yes. Like, it's just such, it's she such has a these brilliant like, lines. Line. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's such and a then also line. like the mother sort of Florence's mother sort of redeems Jacob 
a little bit right at the mm-hmm. end where she talks about like his seeing of humanity seeing of humanity in her daughter and like the humor in her and like right. seeing her as a person and that was you know I'm often confused about what Toni Morrison is saying about the people who owned other people right mm-hmm. because she definitely is doing a lot of work to find humanity in them as well Right. Well, I mean, I think what she's doing, and I, I also just say, I read, it took me three times to understand Beloved. Yeah, um, that's it, hard. It's it a hard book. Um, oh my gosh. And then it became my favorite. <laughs> then it became my favorite book for years. And then Immersive mm-hmm. became my favorite book. But okay. I think what she's doing is actually trying to reach for the truth in him. Mm-hmm. Like, so when, you know, so Minya, my Florence mother says, he looks at her and sees a child. Right. And that's, True, I'm sure, right? I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of true, in terms of the history of slavery, right? That these are human beings who are living in incredible physical intimacy and facing the hardness of the environment together. And I think for me, and this is part of, for me as a, as a writer, one of the things I think is so important is to remember that, yes, these are people, they were close together. And also incredibly, there was incredible cruelty and violence and race, yeah. right? Because that actually makes it even worse, right? right? There's, right, right, there is this intimacy, right? And to understand that part of humanity seems to me to be like one of the scariest but most important things. So I do think, you know, yeah, he could see her as a human, but also doesn't blink at like what it means that he's taking his child away from her mother. Yeah. And you talk about that like close, intimate violence in your book. Oh, yeah. I think it's in Maryland, right? When you're talking about um, Esther Easter and the kitchen. And like, I think when this is, um, I am both black and Jewish. So I think a lot about the Holocaust and slavery, um, even though my family was not in Europe at the time, where they weren't in, they were Russian, they came before. Anyways. Yeah. um, But I think a lot about how these atrocities and, you know, you could include other ones, but these are the two that are personal to my family um, about how it's really people like it's really people to people. It's not drone strikes, right? Like we're not talking about. And and I think we forget and I don't know, but I know that I forget, even though I don't know how I possibly could, but it's almost like too big to understand or to think about regularly, you know, like I know there's all this language about people who are like, you know, don't say slave, say enslaved. Right. right? Cause that like they're, the people aren't slaves, but it's almost like all of the language around slavery and all that stuff was built that way so that we could disassociate from the horrors of it. And so it's hard to like think of her as a child. Like it's hard to think of people who were brutalized and owned and you know broken their spirits broken all these it's hard to really actually take the time to think about what that means and like what that looks like and then to think about it on that scale because it's not just one it's not one child who's like sold into slavery right right. it's like hundreds of thousands of millions of people like and the scope of the whole thing is overwhelming and almost impossible to take in. Right. I mean, this is, but to me, this is a really important point that you're making about language and writing, because this is part of why we need literature, right? So you need the particular story to be able, and it's also, it's like why 
you know, if you hear somebody say 100,000 people died, it doesn't have the, the same impact as if you tell the story of one slow death, right, mm-hmm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. It just becomes mm-hmm. it's too overwhelming. So we, we need, but we do need the research that tells us everything that happened, right? right? That We need that kind of writing. And we also need the intimate story writing, right? We need to be yeah. able to access the past. And it goes back to the, you know, that, that formulation in Beloved, it was not a story to pass on. It wasn't a st- in, in that there's a double entendre there, right? Because you do have to tell the story. She's telling the story, right. but you can't tell right. it. You, you have to be careful with how you tell it. You can't tell it all the time. You can't tell, right? So you, it has to be manageable for us to function. I mean, I give you an example because I, I wrote about it in South America, but it's a much bigger story, but about all these Nazi scientists came to Alabama after World War II that they hired, NASA hired for the space race, which is, and one of them, Von Braun, was a man who was in the camps right next to gas chambers. And they told this fictional story, you know, but there were survivors who were like, no, he was there, right? Like this was, Mm -hmm, he wasn't mm -hmm. just a scientist, right? So they bring them to Jim Crow, Alabama, right? And we know Mm -hmm. the relationship between, you know, Nazis and the architecture of Jim, Jim Crow. And he has this status that the black, who literally a Nazi, that right. black people who fought against fascism right. don't, right? And then people will talk about, well, but you know, but he wanted to integrate NASA. And it's sort of like, to me, and, and people have responded to me to because I didn't write about that part, but I'm like, but so what? But it's also, right. you know, it's like people want to compartmentalize. But this is actually a really horrific revelation because you realize that winning the space race was more important than in that moment for the federal government than what had happened to Jewish people in the Holocaust. Right. And also what had happened to Americans to fight against what was happening. Right. right? And what was happening in the, in their very midst, right? Like all of right. the, right. And so then you say, well, right. that is the primary driver is winning the space race with this person who has all of this violence, right? There's all these layers of violence on the grounds of where there were like enslaved people whose bot, whose graveyards were papered over to build the arsenal, you right. know? So right. that's, it's a lot it's to right. your point. It's a lot. Yeah. But I also think that like that still happens right now, this very moment, mm-hmm. you know, like we're still finding ways to redeem horrible people because they have some value that we think is more important than whatever their horribleness is. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even, I can't think of a great example right now, but the only example that's coming to my mind is like Joe Rogan. Oh yeah. Right. It's like, oh, he provides this. He's, he's a great interviewer. He's like, right. Okay. So what? Like right. he's also a raging racist yeah. and homophobic person and white supremacist. Like he's horrible. And I get that it's entertaining, but like, is that the most important thing? Like, right. what is the thing that we care the most about? Is it the space race or is it the extermination of six million Jews and millions yeah. of other people? Or is it, you know, the American lives lost, you know, and we could talk about yeah. the ways that we claim to care about the people who fight in the American military. But I think that's a whole, you know, right. That's, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole is, thing uh, unto itself. Yeah. 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 But I do, I do think that like these small moments of humanity and and like you're saying truth within the system of American chattel slavery is always really like it's jarring because it's a reminder that it is 
people. And like, I think you say in your book, like it's not just people, it's people who like lived together yes. and like were close to one another and like knew each other. Mm-hmm. Like your housemates, yes. like your housemates owned you and beat you yes. and killed you. And like, you have the story, I can't remember the person's name, who the brothers chop up his oh, body yeah. and like, it's yeah. just like such brutality and horrificness. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a word. And like among people who now, if you lived in a home with someone, you would consider like your nearest and dearest, of right? Course. Like, yes. It's and just- then, but you know, to me, this is also why I guess, and this is, I think it's part of the virtue of the book, right? Because like when we talk about something like domestic violence, right? Or mm. child abuse, you know, child abuse, these things, right. like we just, we separated them out from these larger social practices, but they're actually so intimately connected because we have mm. set the stage in our culture in so many ways for intimacy to not necessarily mean kindness or care, right? That's right. not, and it's, a lot of it has to do with patriarchy. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of it has to do with various forms of status. So to me, in you know, when we're in the house and we see the growing cruelty, we're seeing something that we can recognize when we talk about abuse and patriarchy and sexism, Mm. but we're also seeing something that we can recognize when we talk about racism and the construction of race, right? Those are there. And I, I think that the mastery of like understanding that those things are really intertwined is so important you know, right. Cause they like reflect back on each other, you know? Right. You're just making me think I'm going to do like an English teacher question for you. Do you, or I'm going to ask you and you tell me if I'm right. <laughs> Cause you probably know. Do we think that the house houses are a metaphor for America? Oh, Is that yeah. what that's supposed to be? Yeah. I think they're a metaphor for America and they're also a critique of the ideals of the American dream. Right. Like we talk, I mean, we literally talk about, you know, white picket fence. We talk about the house as a representation. And by the time the house is built, everything is dead in this book. You know, Jacob is dead, right? Like your children are dead. That's not incidental, right? This aspiration for what? I mean, there's that. And it's another thing that Morrison picks up again and again, aspiration for what? But also houses are dangerous places in Morrison's work. From 124 to, you know, that the house and the old plantation house and, Song of Solomon to the house in, in uh, paradise. I mean, the house, houses are complicated, right? They're these sites mm. of aspiration, but they're also the sites of in, of enclosure and disaster. And they make space for like, oh, oh. And, you know, so this is really interesting. <laughs> so there's an article by Horton Spillers written in 1987, Mama's Baby, Papa's Maybe, an American Grammar. And in it, she talks about like sort of where Black women fit in the the domestic structure of the of the US nation. And she uses this term vestibular, like in the vestibule, right? Like, mm-hmm. and they're writing, you know, Morrison and Horton Spillers are talking to each other as she's writing that article and Morrison is writing Beloved. So they're talking about houses and like this the mm-hmm. house as a metaphor for the country. So all that to say, yes, that's actually explicitly in the minds of the of more in Morrison's mind and others who she's in conversation. I don't know. I'm starting to think back of the houses in in the books. Like I'm thinking of the house in Sula, too, mm-hmm. and uh, Song of Solomon, of course. Yeah. Like, uh, wow. Oh my gosh. This is what's been fun about reading Morrison for the show is like getting to talk to different people and them adding 
different insights like in the, like I get to think back yeah, yeah. to the earlier you know it's just like really it's a cool it's a real I feel very lucky whenever we get to do this um okay let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last three plus years I have been drinking AG1 every day no exceptions it's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. I want to talk about the names. Yeah. Because you are a professor and I know professors think about these things a lot. And so I feel like you might have some insights. I think like I, Rebecca and Jacob, that's biblical. Yes. I know that. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hate. Yes. Because mm-hmm. right, that's his, Rebecca's his like most yeah. beloved wife, right? Yeah. yeah. I know that from Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream code, everybody. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> but what about, what's up with Sully and Willard? Oh, you know, I don't know. I spent a lot of time in um, growing up in Massachusetts and Chicago. So I think of Sully as a classically Irish nickname. Sully. Oh, okay. Right? Like, okay. I'm used to, like, I don't know what that, you know, I have actually hadn't thought about 
the symbolic meanings? That's a great question. But I because yeah. I know she's like really into names, like yeah. all of the names in the books. I mean, Song of Solomon is like a book about names, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. J- and Jacob of course, and Rebecca Sorrow changes her name. Yeah. So, and Sorrow's name, we kind of hear about like how she got the name. It's like yeah. a very literal, you know, she's sad. So they started calling her Sorrow because she wouldn't right. say what her name was. Right. Um, but what about Florence? What's do you have any sense of that? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I thought about it in terms of her as a cap is capturing something of her personality. She's mm. sort of she's florid, and that's what makes her puts her at risk, oh. right? She wants she wants shoes, and she likes pretty things, and her right. mother's like that's going to be your demise because right. you can be controlled by your desire, right? Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's a good yeah, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> no, I don't I, know. I don't um, know either. <laughs> but I, but I do. But just in terms of sorrow, I just, I feel, I, I love it. But I also feel a little bit, of, I don't know, conflicted when she, she renames herself complete after she has a child. Yeah. As a mother, I'm like, I don't know. Like, are we co- like the idea that your, your mother and now you, you're complete. But it also yeah. sounds very Puritan, right? Puritans would choose names like that. <laughs> like, like I just, yeah, yeah, I don't. So I, I'm a mom and I just don't relate to a lot of that, like yeah. mom uh, narrative yeah. in general. Like I just, I don't, I like my kids. I love my kids, right. but like, I don't feel. They're not your whole life. No, it can't not at be. all. It's not good for no. them as a model if you are. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't even have the like instant, the moment I saw them, that whole like my life has changed. I was right. like, oh my gosh, there's people now right. here who live here. Right. Like I just, Cute I can never people. relate yes. to those things. Yeah. Just there's now there's two more people in my house <laughs> and they are very needy. They're yes. demanding. I think another thing in the book that like I kept noticing, or, and I think it's very obvious, it's like the orphaned people like yeah. everyone who comes to the place is like on their own yeah. no one comes with someone um i guess except for except for the guys the the yeah. uh indentured guys but even they have their own like independent mm-hmm. backstories mm-hmm. and you know it it begs the question of like who owns who like who's right. responsible for each person cuz they all sort of got there they all right. sort of ended up there because they were forced there for different reasons mm-hmm. and like who's in charge, like autonomy. I don't know. It's sort of like autonomy is a joke, right? Yeah. Like it's not real. Like, yeah. I- but it's sort of, isn't, I mean, that, don't you think that's sort of another way that it's a kind of an American origin story? Sure. Yeah. Because we all sort of ended up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're forced here. Yeah. 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 I think, but I also think it like goes against a lot of the narrative about America too, which is like that we all belong to this thing we all belong to each other in this way is like how America wants us to think yeah Mm -hmm. but I don't think that that's true necessarily oh no and yeah and like I mean especially you know people who are descendants of enslaved people in America like I think you know if you've seen roots you know if you if you've had any experience like you know that we were sold from our families right regularly yes and like so yeah, I, I mean, all this fragmentation. Yeah, yeah. Just or even so much of it. I love that the detail that she has. I don't love it because it's terrible, but I I love that she added that Morrison added about the details about how um 
they wouldn't allow the children who died to be baptized or the, the church, the local church and the kind of cruelty yeah. of the rules of the church. Cause even that mythology of like churches as anchors or community institutions, you right. know, that it, she really showed how the kind of the fragmentation and the exclusion that came from the outset. Right. So, yeah, I would love, I, I'm really not a church person. I don't know much about the church. I wasn't raised in the church. And so I, that's always like a big mess missing spot for me when we talk about a lot of Morrison actually has a lot of church related mm -hmm. things. What did you make of the religious politics in the book? Like, I think a lot of that went over my head because I don't know about yeah. that. Well, I mean, I think it's just, it was an accurate characterization of how exacting and cruel so many of the Protestant sects were, sects mm. were. Um, and then also there, I loved the discussion, the kind of judgment of the sort of excesses of the Catholics and the idolatry when Jacob's assessment, mm -hmm. when he goes, because it's, it's, it was apt, right? Like they had very, and they had very different ways of navigating this horrific institution, which is interesting because, I mean, implicitly part of what Morrison is kind of showing is, you know, the Catholic countries, there was more sexual interaction. Those those countries, the slavery of those countries, like Spain and Portugal, there's more sexual violence committed against Black women than in the prod from the prod and Protestant. Not, of course, they're terrible oh. in both instances, but that's I part of. That. I think that's part of the subtext, right? With the mm. with Florence coming from a Portuguese, you know, and they have that. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just jumping all over, but one of my favorite sentences in the book is about the um, the Angola part of Portugal, right? The like the the idea that Portugal had laid claim to all of these places in Africa, and mm. then it becomes part of right, right, right. And so they come from, you know, so she comes from there, where there's a lot more, um, a lot less censure from the church about interracial sexuality there than in Protestant countries. So that also may have been why Jacob was seen as a more as a safer mm. place um oh, interesting yeah but so they so but they all are so exacting and judgmental and you see that it has to do with the harshness of the environment they like sort of have these very stoic dispositions around religion but they also mean that they're cruel to people in their right. in their midst yeah what did you make what do you make of the dying of rebecca and jacob's babies I mean, I guess I thought about it as both a meaningful plot device and historically accurate. You know, kids, there's just lots of kids didn't make it, right? I guess for me, what part of what Morrison is doing is for those of us who, you know, Morrison centralizes Black experience and Black life, right? Mm -hmm. But she's, in this book, she's also reminding us that like, the way that we talk or even imagine a slave society tends not to dwell on the adversity faced by the white people in, the, in mm, our midst. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's really important because it's not as though she's doing apologetics, mm -mm. but at all, but that was real, right? Babies right. died, Rebecca, I mean, Rebecca, the scene when Rebecca comes over for me is one of the most powerful scenes in literature because it's like you, you don't think about how much for women like her, they came to this country in conditions that are were not wholly different from enslaved people in the hold of a ship. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Like in a disgusting right. 
hold of a ship. He has this, there's this line, it's one thing, you know, to, to live in your own waste. It's another to live in other people's waste. So, you know, Rebecca, a white woman comes here that way mm-hmm. too. And she experiences all of this loss of her children and it is physically um, demanding and she's heartbroken, right? And they are like a family, but then there's a point when she decides I'm going to become the mistress of this plantation. And I, so I just, I I think that there's something, it's both accurate, but it also helps us rethink, you know, the institution of slavery. Why do you think we don't, we, as in, I guess, people who learn and live in Mm -hmm. America, I'll, you know, I'll say it that way. um, We don't talk about the difficulty for white people during that time, because I feel like Mm -hmm. so often, like, especially, you know, in a white supremacist society, we're always trying to find ways to make white people more sympathetic. And I just think it's interesting that that's not something like I've definitely heard white people talk about, like, you know, my family was too poor to own slaves. So like I'm absolved of slavery, but like, we don't talk about like how hard life was just like period. Right. And, and then for white people on, in addition, I guess, to just general. I mean, I think we don't, it's because we don't talk about class in this society. Mm. And I think it's also because of, you know, what Du Bois classically called the wages of whiteness, right? It's a psycho, being a psychological wage. So this conception of oneself as white is also about belonging to the superior group, which means that people will say, oh, my family was poor, but not my family was oppressed and exploited. (laughs) in the right. service of a white supremacist order that we didn't benefit from, right? Like right, 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 financially, right, right. right? I mean, um, now, I mean, I think there are people who will talk about like, you know, miners or yeoman farmers, but not, people who don't want to put it all together, right? Like that here are white people who are at the bottom of a hierarchy who are suffering, but who are disciplined from identifying with black people by saying, well, you're white, so you're a little bit better, right? right? And right. But I also think we just, we love um, a plantation drama in this sure. in our society, right? We do. Sure, I, I do. And we, <laughs> and we love royal. I mean, I'm watching. I've been watching The Gilded Age, which is a fantastic TV show. Uh, but I'm also like, gosh, like we really do. From you know, from Bridgerton to the Guild, like we like right. we like to watch rich people and their melodrama. And so well, we that's what you're saying. The yeah. seduction of beauty again. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I think about my love of Gone with the Wind, the thing that always comes into my mind first is the dress that Scarlett wears, the white and green dress with the big hat when she goes to the picnic. That's like my, that's the image. And it's, and it's because I love that dress. Like I think half of the reason I love Gone with the Wind is because I think Vivian Lee is so beautiful. And I think that her clothes are so beautiful. And I think, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Like, yes. It's so gorgeous to look at. What's your favorite I also color? Love, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm like not black. I don't okay. know. I'm not okay. really like a you color, know the color person. person? I, oh, that's interesting. I like vivid colors. I like pretty things, but I yeah. don't have like a favorite color. Okay. Um, but I do love the red dress she wears, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sexy red. Like the clothes in that movie are so Perfection. important to my life like uh-huh. I don't like I think about them and I love Scarlett I love that she's like a badass like yeah, I, yeah. she I she's like my Lady Macbeth right like okay. I love Lady Macbeth it's like that same I think of them in the same place but I do think so much of like the seduction of beauty is what I love about 
gone with the wind. Yeah. Like, cause I even love Mammy's red petticoat, yeah, yeah. you know, like I think about that beautiful thing. Yes. And I think it's so fucked up when you think about <laughs> right. what you're talking about, mm-hmm. but like the way that we can erase so much with like wealth and beauty and pretty people and pretty things is very scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I it's mean, scary. It, it's scary. And I think the question is then not to, I mean, I, there's that, and that's that scene, right? When he's, he, when he's at, um, oh, I can't think of his name. The, the, Portu- the Portuguese, the Portuguese house. Yeah. And he's like, Senor. Senor. And he's like, he's horrified, but he's also enchanted because it is really mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then, and he wants it. And I think that that's such a beautifully written scene because we know what that feels like. Like, well, we're like, oh, that is nice, right? And we yeah. might think like, oh, it's so yeah. excessive, but oh, it's nice, right? Like that feeling, yeah. you know, and it's real, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. and it's, it's human. And so I think, so that's why I think what is great about this book is it resonates with that. And we get why yeah. everybody's so excited when the house is being built and it's going to be so beautiful. And then there's also this rot at the core. And it's also, but they yeah. want it because they've had such a hard time already. Like it's, so it's you right, get all the layers, right? right? It does. He doesn't. Yeah. That Morrison is always pushing us. She's always like pushing buttons about beauty. Like when you get to um, uh, the very last one that she published, it's all about like so much is gets to the sort of dangers of beauty. So repeated things. I I think also like she's she's always kind of subverting what we what we think we know about things and Mm -hmm. like I think one of the ways she does that with this book is setting it in the north yeah right like that's a choice that is very much like oh you think this is just a thing that happens in the south right right like that's in conversation with your book for Mm -hmm. sure like oh you think that the south is the only place that did bad yeah you know um which I I always appreciate I just I just think like I know we talked about this last time. I just think that the way that America shits on the South because like they, it's like the scapegoat is just so sad to me because I know how many black people are there. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's yeah. like, okay, you're, you're blaming us for right. our own oppression. The majority, essentially. The majority yeah. of African-Americans still are in the South and always have yeah. been. Yeah. And also I think sort of to go back to what we were just talking about, the cost of that is we don't examine wealth and power. Right. So, and I wrote a little bit about this, but the Lehman, when I went to see the Lehman Brothers play on Broadway, and the Lehman Brothers, right, the most important, you know, investment bank of the 20th century began as cotton traders in Montgomery, Alabama. That's the, or Wall Street starting as a slave market. That's the foundation of New York wealth, right? right? All the stuff right. that we, this all, so much glamour, or, you know, if you ever go to Newport, Rhode Island, right? I mean, Rhode Island's wealth is all wealth produced by slavery, right? And so- Mm. there are things that we take pleasure in that are we treat as though they just are right like oh there's just titans of industry but wait they had to rest on a foundation of something which was unfree labor and it is not it's also the people up in the northeast right so yeah i think yeah yeah okay who was your favorite character in this one or who is your favorite character lena okay me too florence (laughs) Because I, I identify with Florence, but Lena is just, she's just amazing. You I know? love Lena too. Is that big Leo energy also? Oh, that's interesting. Yes, she does. I think so. She has a self-possession. She does the next needed thing. She, you know, 
Yeah. yeah. She's and she's very I mean, she's very pragmatic, which I don't yes. know if that's necessarily Leo. I don't know. But her like sense of like confidence in it, right? That's Leo. Yeah. No? Yeah. yeah. I think so. I think this is people who are listening to the show who listen regularly. This year, somehow we've gotten off on this track where like every character we started to finding like because we did passing earlier this year. (laughs) And so we were talking about like Claire and Irene and then like, you know, deciding what happens at the end of that book was we were like talking about it. Well, I people, if you haven't read the book, this is a spoiler. Skip 30 seconds. Just (laughs) I don't know. Just in case. Um. I'm certain it was a murder. I'm yeah. certain that she was pushed. But I turns out that's apparently a very hot Leo take. Other people, I had a lot of Libras <laughs> who had different feelings. There were so like it, so it ended up being like when we did because I do a virtual book club for my patrons yeah. where we talk about the book in person together, uh, virtually together. It ended up being this thing of like drop what you thought happened at the end of the book and what your sign is, and it like oh, became so much this fun. whole thing of like. But so now this is this new this new trend, I guess. I feel like I've finally stepped into my full L.A. life of like doing astrological signs for <laughs> classic literature. <laughs> but I really do think fun, Lena though. has big Leo energy for sure. I, it is fun, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and some characters like, you know, the author tells us when they were born. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what I was just. Oh, I just read Parable of the Sower and uh, Lauren is a cancer and it's very, she's, oh, that bri- makes she's perfect her birthday's, sense. yeah, her birthday's July 20th and it's like, that is a oh, cancer. She's, and she's almost on the cusp, yeah. On the cusp, yeah. That she, my birthday's July 22nd and I'm the last day of cancer, but I was born That's so my, late at night. It's my son's birthday. My July 22nd? Birthday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel, maybe I feel like we talked about this. Maybe, is your other son a Taurus or yes. something? Okay, yeah, because my husband is a Taurus. I think we, I think okay. you and I like we're, te- okay, we're we tweeting about okay, this. Yeah, okay, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, I'm so I'm technically a Leo, even though I was born the last day of Cancer. Okay, um, and my kids are born the first day of Capricorn, so very cuspy in this household. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, but yeah, so now this is my new thing: is astrology for characters. Okay, I have a few questions of just like, is this what happened or not? Okay, Sully and Willard were lovers. Yes. Okay. Does Florence kill Smithy? I don't think so. Okay. Because she beats him up. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I couldn't I don't tell. Because, you know, the book enough. starts with, like, I did this horrible thing. And then yeah. I couldn't tell if maybe she was, like, writing to him being dead or not. Um, okay. Those are my two questions of, like, <laughs> did this happen? Okay. The last thing I want to talk about before we talk about the title and the cover, I just want to talk about short books mm. for a moment. Okay. Because Toni Morrison writes a lot of short books. She does. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And in this book, she has like seven commas total and every paragraph is five pages long. Yeah. What is that about? I don't know. I don't know about writing that way. Okay. That's how I read it. Um, okay. Okay. That when, so I read the book as one that is intensely emotional. And mm. so it's not, people use, it's not stream of consciousness though. But it is that like, like when you're like yeah. going that, that feeling of like that has, that's breathy and then breathless. So I think that is how, and, and you're inside people's minds. And sometimes they're thinking the same thing. Like there's this mo- moment when I think it's both Lena and Rebecca have this thought when it's, when Florence is off getting the blacksmith and she's like, you know, where is she gone? Will they rape her? Which, like, they're having the mm-hmm. same series of thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's like an echo. 
um, and you're inside. And that's part of why it becomes confusing because she has scene shifts and she won't tell you you're inside somebody else's head and you have to glean from context that you've moved to someone else um, altogether. Mm. So it's like, it's this sensibility. And I think for me, it gives me like a kind of sensory feeling about what that time and place was like, or it's an effort right. to it anyway, but that's my take. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I don't know. That's like, this is really not my strength because I don't write. So I don't mm -hmm. think, uh, I think about books as a reader. Like, right. That's it. I mm -hmm. don't think about, I, I think about structure when it comes yeah. to me, when yeah, I yeah. can read it, but I don't think a, a lot about what, how things are, why things are done. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like I, I've started thinking more about that. The more I talk to authors as yeah. they talk to me about like their process and things, I start to understand it, but she doesn't use any commas. And I, and I, sometimes I found that hard. Actually, yeah. I was confused with, I was like, wait, let me read that sentence again. This was another sort of slow read for me. Cause I kept having to go back because yeah. I was confused a little bit. Mm -hmm. And like these long, these long paragraphs, I was like, wait, where am I? Like, like I would get lost in the writing. Yeah. But I, I just, I love a short book. Like I love a short movie. Yeah. I love a short play. I love brevity in Mm -hmm. narrative art. I just think it's like, so like, I think of like Colson Whitehead's The Nickel Boys, like yeah, yeah. so short, yeah, so yeah. good. I think of Sula, so short, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that there was like some, someone on Twitter was talking about some agent was saying like, we don't buy books that are short. Oh, that was so and I just, terrible. I'm it's sorry, so terrible, but bad. also so many great books of the short. greatest books are short. And yep. I think like when you can write a story and it can be short, it's like indicative that that person had something to say. Yes. Oh yeah. It's you know, it's, it's a mastery of form. Like when someone with, yeah. especially with someone like Morrison or Whitehead or, or Justin Ward, like when they, yeah. they have Baldwin. they can, they can do it and, yeah. and, yeah. and have it the arc complete. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of academic books do it too. And I think maybe for different reasons, mm -hmm. but I feel like a lot of like, academic books that I like books that are published with academic presses that I really like are shorter. Mm. Like they're just not, they're just like not always going on and on, you know, <laughs> like Maisha Cherry's book, like she got yeah, it yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that book that came out last year, uh, belly of the beast. Like mm -hmm. it's not, there's not a lot, like we have things to say, we're going to say them. And I, I just, I don't like all the extra. And yeah, so yeah. I just feel like the short really speaks speaks to me because I'm impressed. I'm like, wow, <laughs> anybody could, anybody could do Titanic in three hours. Right, Let me right. see Titanic in 90 minutes. There we James go. Cameron. <laughs> I love it. So the last thing we always do is talk about the cover and the title. Mm. Um, I don't know what your cover of, I have this, like, I think it's only yeah. this like pastoral one. Same okay. pastoral cover. Yeah. I don't think they have redone it yet. So I'm excited about that. Um, it's sort of, blue gray with green trees different trees pretty her name is high up in in uh yeah. on mine it's foil then it says a mercy a novel yeah I'm not crazy what do you about think? this cover I'm not crazy I don't about love it the cover but no. you know what I don't think that they I had a student several years ago was so brilliant I wish I remembered all the details who did a paper about all of the covers of Morrison's novels Mm. And a, a, and actually did research in how the covers were chosen and how they little they have to do with the book so often. Because <laughs> I just yeah. feel like this just doesn't tell me anything. I think it's this is a cover that says, Toni Morrison is winner of the Nobel Prize, so you should buy this book. But the cover doesn't yeah. feel like it feels like anything relevant to the, to the novel. It to doesn't me. do anything. Should have been the house. Anything. The house yeah. should have been the cover. 
or yeah, like because this looks like they're on a boat or like in a swamp or yeah. something but that doesn't feel northern either no. it doesn't yeah no and the plant life doesn't look doesn't look northern to me and it looks like they're like in a lake like they're not in the ocean like it's not the ocean yeah right so no what's it's happening? like a, a lake or, or like yeah. a, a chill river or something yeah yeah I mean, i'm with you pretty, but it doesn't but the title, on the other hand, oh yes, holy shit! Yeah. I mean that moment, and I mean it's the last. It's like the second to last paragraph. I'm gonna yep. just read it. So she's talking for people who haven't read the book who are listening to this. Still, what's wrong with you? But she's talking. This is Florence's mother finally yeah. getting to talk, and she's talking about why she sent Florence away with Jacob, and she says. Um, hoping for a miracle. He said, yes. And then, and then the paragraph starts, it was not a miracle bestowed by God. It was a mercy offered by a human. And And, I just, and here's what I, this, here's a question about punctuation since you raised punctuation, because there's periods here. Period. It's not a miracle period bestowed by God, period. It was a mercy period. And I love this because it's not, it wasn't a miracle bestowed by God. Like there's not a comma there. Right. So is it like, yeah. was it bestowed by God or it wasn't a miracle bestowed by God? Right. Like, right. You know, like this, what she does with the punctuation, like actually raises questions about, about God as the source of mercy. Right. Right. Cause it could be, Amazing. it wasn't a miracle bestowed by God. Yeah. Or it could be, it wasn't a miracle. Bestowed. It was bestowed by God. Yeah, besto- yeah. It could be bestowed by God, comma. It was a mercy. Right. Like to make these three separate sentences is a question about like, it's a theological challenge. Can you put this in God's hands? Oh, my God. I just think it's a genius move. Yeah. So good. (laughs) And and it's so late in the book because I'm always waiting for the title, especially in Mm. literature, because often in nonfiction, the title isn't necessarily said in the book Mm -hmm. or it's like a theme Mm -hmm. of like the idea of the book. But in a novel, I am waiting for that moment. And I about 80% through the book, I'm like, what is a mercy though? Like I really was like, (laughs) when are we getting there? And then I finally get to the end of the book and it, there it is. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was worth every word to get there. Like it was, it was one of the best title payoffs, I think of my life as far as reading. Like I've never been so, I can't think of a time I've been so struck by a title in the book. I just, ugh, I thought it was so good. Um, yeah, agreed. I don't know. I think that's it. <laughs> yes, agreed. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say or talk about about this book before we get out of here? Well, I would just say, you know what? It's short, but I think it's one of those books that's also a slow read. So for people reading uh-huh. it for the first time, to take time with it and also to keep in mind that here's an entry into a world that we literally don't know. Like we don't get taught Mm -hmm. this world in history. Mm -hmm. So you have to like, you have to suspend all of your assumptions about history to like, to, to delve into it. But it's payoff is huge because it teaches so much to me about how things got to be the way they are. Like even just really quickly, there's this moment when the free black man is being paid and it's, indentured white man sees this free black man being paid Mm. and it infuriates him and Mm -hmm. you know you see oh right this is like part of the formation of race right like I mean just there's all these perfect little moments like that so that's all yeah I feel like in reading the book I missed sort of 
that I like that as like the formation of how things are done. So I'm so glad we talked to you because I feel like now this book is like making more sense okay, good. to me in that way. Because <laughs> like, be yes, of course, it's like yeah. we, yeah, no, because it's like, of course, now we're seeing, like we're seeing the, we're seeing race happen. We're seeing like, there's the line that's like, I think it's famous. I feel like I knew it when she says to be female in this place is to be an open wound that cannot Ooh, heal. Yes. Um, like, so we're, you know, we didn't even really talk about this, about like the, the woman, the women in pre-America colonies, like what that was like. But I think we also see gender Mm -hmm. get crystallized. Oh, absolutely. American gender crystallized. And yeah. And like you said it also about Sully and and Willard, like the queerness gets crystallized. And Mm -hmm. like, I, I, I hadn't thought about any of it in that way. And I think it's really interesting. And I also think like Lena's closeness to Rebecca is also saying something about like color. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've really, you've really bumped up Toni Morrison's A Mercy for me. You did, you did what you needed to do. Thank you. Yes. I know. I'm Everybody always, people, every time I'm like, I love a mercy. People are like, really? <laughs> so it's like, you know, yeah, it's now. My, well, I went my and favorite. read a review in the New York times of this, like from when it came out and whoever I care, I, I actually didn't finish the review because I was so irritated, but whoever wrote it was like, this book is better than paradise. Paradise sucked. And I was like, Whoa, bro, they were was, mean to her. I think it was Michiko Kakutani, but yeah, they, so, but here's I, this, here's a little tidbit for the, I know lots of writers listen to your to you so just as a little tidbit if you want to like feel bolstered after a bad review read tony the reviews of tony morrison's books because people went in on her over and over again constantly they were just shitting it's like whoa i I mean but obviously it was about way more than the books right but it's it's also like you know that's the the reviews are not for writers right i have to keep that in mind all the time yeah i that's a conversation we have a lot around here because I don't write my reviews for the writer. I write my reviews for other readers. That's what they're for, right? They're for yeah, other I'm readers. To readers, yeah. And yeah, what the, and what read and it's information for and but writers are very precious about them. And I get it. I am too. But as a writer, you have to maintain your focus on what it is that you are here to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good lesson for you writers out there. Good luck to you people because writing is impossible. Um, everyone, if you haven't read it yet, please go out and get South to America by Monty Perry. If you have read it, she's got six more for you to read. Also, A Mercy if you haven't, or we might all have to reread it anyways. Who knows? Imani, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tracy. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you for listening and thank you to Imani Perry for being my guest. Thank you also to Caitlin Mulroney-Liskey for coordinating both of Imani's appearances on the show. All right, now it's time to announce the Stacks Book Club pick. In honor of April being National Poetry Month, we are going to tackle another poetry collection. We'll be reading Doppelgangbanger by Courtney Lamar Charleston. We'll be discussing the book on the show on Wednesday, April 27th, and you can tune in next Wednesday to find out who our guest will be. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, please take a moment to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, the stacks 
Our editor is Christian Duenas. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. And our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thank you.